This is Life, Body, Business, Impact with Fatima. Welcome, friends. I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm your host, Fatima Ingalls, fitness expert, best-selling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, founder of the Life, Body, Business, Fit Systems, and co-founder of the amazing Freedom Retreats. My mission is to positively impact 10 million lives, to inspire you to wake up and live from your bucket list of dreams instead of waking up one day with a bucket list of regrets. Get ready to be inspired with weekly episodes and interviews that disrupt your thinking and motivate you to build your best life, body and business. To change one life is to change many. So come with me now and let's get started with yours. Friends, in today's episode, I'm joined with the wonderful Lisa Bondarenko, who is a counsellor. She's a published author, speaker, and all-round awesome Adelaide chick. Now, Lisa has had an amazing career spanning over many years, having worked within the corporate sector and mainly the human resource and event management marketing areas. Now, like many people in life, Lisa has had a moment which has forced her to take a step outside of her safety zone and to jump into something completely new. Now that something was all things social science and counselling, where at the age of 30, Lisa decided to go back to university for four years. It was there that she was able to solidify her love of human wiring and behaviour. And with that knowledge and understanding, she was equipped with a stronger and deeper framework. A framework that assists her working alongside individuals, groups and organisations in the matters of health, mental health and well-being from a mental, emotional and a physical perspective. Now, over the past several years, her work has created incredible collaborations with local, rural and national brands, and she's profoundly grateful for the opportunity to do that. She also has a private counselling practice, which remains a foundation and primary core of who she actually is. So I have I've had the opportunity to collaborate and work with Lisa on her retreats and some other events. So let's dive into our interview with Lisa Bondarenko. I'm here chatting with the wonderful Lisa Bondarenko, who is a counsellor and author and speaker. Right, Lisa? Correct. Yes. Hello. How are you? Author of Through the Looking Glass of IVS. IVF, isn't it? Silent Tears. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, correct. Yep. Thank you so much for being here and giving us the time to, um, to listen to what you've got to say. Well, thank you for having me. Lisa, I want you to talk to our listeners about what you do to prioritise your physical, mental and emotional health because the podcast is about your life on your terms and, and has a focus on the importance of looking after your health on every level. So what is it that you do in your busy schedule to fill your cup up and invest in yourself? Wow, that's a really good question. So a few things. Um, I'm probably unapologetic being a therapist that I spend a bit more time on emotional and mental health for myself because I think sometimes we they come after physical health, to be honest, um, when really, I mean, they should all come at the same time. But, look, physical health, you know, exercise is something that I do and I'm going to be really honest, I don't love it, but I do it because it's good for me. And I do it because it's good for my body. I do it because it's good for my my mind. I do it because it's good for stress relief. I do it because I know it's good for me. Am I someone who loves to do it? No, right? But it's a choice. And that's something that, you know, over the years I have I've struggled to find things that I love to do, you know, like when it's not something, I'm not one of those gym junkies, but I love to go and have a good sweat session. So I think there's nothing better than a good sweat session. Mentally, um, you might find this strange, but I'm, I'm really about finding creative space because sometimes, you know, for my mental health, especially with what I do for, for a profession is it can get really intense. So I need to find a balance of having joy in my life and having a creative space. So one of the things that I did literally in this last year was I um, went and had piano lessons because I wanted to do something that was creative. I like to think myself as a bit of a muso and I wanted to do a task or uh, find something that 
didn't have anything attached to it. I didn't have to, it wasn't a because, it, it wasn't a have to, it was a because, right? So, and I've actually got my first piano concert on Saturday. I'm so nervous, but I've been learning that once a week, half an hour a week with a, an amazing teacher and the the difference mentally that it's done for me like is incredible so I, I think from a mental mental health aspect it's for me it's been about finding something that's full of joy finding a creative outlet and finding something that's not attached to a, a job or a, or a role or a title right um, emotionally um, emotional health again you know hugely hugely important as all of them are but from a professional point of view, you know, I, I have to have um, regular supervision where I go and offload just um, for my own emotional well-being, just about life and how I'm doing in the business and what's come up for me and what I've been challenged so, by. So, so what you're saying there is that even as a professional counsellor yourself, you I have, can speak to I your have own it. Yep. Yeah, correct. Yes, correct. Correct. it's really a really, um, I think it's a really important message. As you know myself, I've had um, oh. counselling and seen a psychologist for many years with my own issues and um, would continue to invest in myself. So it's really good to hear from yourself, from a professional point of view, even though it's what you do and you help people um, on a day-to-day basis through counselling, that you also prioritise it in your own life. So, Oh, absolutely, because it... You know, life life can get overwhelming, and you know, then I've got my my personal life. You know that we I have things that come up for me that are emotional or whatever. And I'm very I've learned over the years that I know my I know when things are starting to spiral emotionally. Like I've got my points. I, I know the the line in the sand where I'm like, mm, okay, I'm I'm in a state of overwhelm, or I really need to just offload. Yeah, so that's that's something I do professionally. Personally, you know, to be honest, I might um, sometimes I just check out from the world in the sense of downtime. I might read a book. I might watch like trashy Netflix series. Just and it's always a love story or something funny. I don't do anything else. You know, I think it's just about unwinding. You know, because I think that when you're on the go all the time and you're on, like when I say on, you know, just on on all the time it's um important to have an a pause button yeah so physically exercise is is 100 a non-negotiable um mentally as i said the one thing that i found this year that's been incredibly uh different and and powerful has been something creative and artistic and not attached to a title or a or a you know another task and emotionally you know offloading to a professional but also just honestly switching off and just escaping <laughs> yes, escaping I completely relate to that going back to your piano lessons and finding a creative outlet that <laughs> wasn't attached to anything I think that's that's absolutely gold and really interesting because we do normally attach it to a particular task or trying to achieve yes. a outcome and I like to impress upon people that filling your cup up and taking time out for yourself physically, mentally, emotionally isn't just about all those other things that you add to your to-do list. It can be like what you have done, gone and um, had piano lessons or, you know, finding another creative outlet or spending time with people you enjoy doing a hobby or a task. Mm. Hobby, I think hobbies are really important. And I mean, to be honest, so if I'm being really honest, it took me a year to go and do piano lessons because I felt really guilty. I thought, what that's, you know, like, what's that innate of? Like, that? what's the purpose? It's all about purpose, purpose, purpose. And actually, for me, there's no purpose other than enjoyment. Right? I've dragged my son along. Every Wednesday, he sits and eats copious amounts of snacks while I play. Um, And I'm unapologetic about that, you know, that's just me time. It's half an hour. Like, it's not that much. Um, And as I said, I'm about to do my first concert and, um, you know, I'm really proud of myself and I'm proud that I'm proud of being able to push through that you know that barrier of guilt and shouldn't and yeah but what's the purpose in it well no purpose other than to enjoy yeah so um going back to guilt obviously you and I have worked together quite a lot I've the pleasure of I guess we didn't really give our listeners much of a background but you know we met through uh, a mutual friend at the paleo cafe and Mm -hmm. um through Lisa I've had the opportunity to speak at 
um, events and we've worked on some projects together, which has been an absolute privilege. And the whole guilt thing has been huge for myself personally and for the people that, that I speak to. So in relation to guilt, I like to say, you know, ditch the guilt, throw it away. It's not always that easy. But why is it that why is it that you think we have guilt, particularly women? I don't know. I'd like to get your perspective around men having guilt about taking time out for themselves, but also women. Why why do you think we struggle with guilt when we take time out for ourselves, whether it's for that creative outlet mm. to go, you know what? Kids, I'm putting myself first. I'm going to exercise or I'm I'm going to go yeah. and take care of myself or go and have a massage or just go and have lunch with my girlfriends and turn my phone off. Yeah. Well, look, I think, um, you know, it's, it is something that I see a lot of in the counselling room and I think the first thing I always start with when I, when I hear the word guilt, because a lot of us can use the word very, very freely, is um, I always ask people what their definition of guilt is and you'd actually be surprised at how many people don't know, right? But really just very fundamentally and technically, the definition of guilt is that I'm doing something wrong, Mm -hmm. right? So when we start filtering things through, you know, back to my piano lessons, well, what am I doing wrong that would, you know, create that sense of guilt? And when I unpack it like that, well, nothing other than maybe valuing myself with time, with maybe perceived luxury, you know, with maybe perceived, um, you know, the $25 half an hour could, you know, could go elsewhere. So I think women in general, we have this, and it's a bit of a social construct that we have to be all things to to everyone. We have to be superhero um, mums and juggling 48 balls, but then also building business empires and and there's not actually any time, like I often talk about, you know, woman, wife, mother, right? Now, for some of us, we have those three roles. Others, we have one of those roles. But the one thing we all have is the woman in us. The woman in us often gets missed. It all becomes about the, being the mum or being the wife or the and it's about the function, right? But what is the function of the woman? So before you're a mum, before you're a wife, all of us started as women. And so it's so important to sometimes go back to that fundamental. As a woman, tell me about how X, Y, and Z would create guilt. Often it's because, well, I could, it's the wife in me going, oh, but what if my husband's not happy about that? Or the mum in me that goes, oh, I could spend that money on swimming lesson. Or, you know, like, so we actually swap, swap hats rather than the woman going, you know what? I'm actually worth that and I'm actually going to make a choice to value myself. So it's the, I think it's the switching of the hat. I think it's the switching of the profile. And for women that literally, you know, might maybe not be a wife or a partner or, or a mother, there's still that social construct around selfish or being indulged or being a princess or being, you know, like there's just so many different contexts. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what society tells us as women that it is, and not everyone, obviously there's an exception to every rule, but that you are doing something wrong and that you are being selfish when you do spend time and money on yourself and not on those extra swimming lessons or something like that for your children. So it's, it's kind of like a societal norm for women to put their children first and, and the family. What do you think about men? Do you think that there is the same issue with them or not? Look, uh, yeah, look, I think, I mean, absolutely. I think I think women, however, you know, there's this, as I said, there's just this stereotype of that we have to be all things to all people and that, you know, we're all wearing superhero capes. And if we're not juggling 28 balls, then what's wrong with us? Like if we're not, if we're not working, being a parent, you know, working in charities, changing lives, then what are we even here for? You know, we have to be doing everything as opposed to doing one thing really well. Like, why can't we just be mums? Why can't we just be a worker? Why can't we just be a humanitarian? Why can't we just do one thing? Yeah, no reason at all. There's no reason no. why. But, but men, you know, 
you'd be amazed at the amount of men, you know, and I, I'm a big advocate when I work with men who, you know, that I, I, I talk to them about you need you need man time, you need mates, you need to be able to go out, you need to actually have your own identity without the pressure of the have-tos. And quite often the have-tos come from the expectations from us women. Yeah, men are men are equally under the same pump as women. And I think for us to assume that they're not is actually just a bit delusional because men are really, um, men have less time probably than women do as far as just being men because they're having to work, they're having to, you know, um, be dads, they're having, they're having to do everything. And a lot of the men that I see, I say to them, what do you do for hobbies? I don't have time for that. You know, what, what would I do that? And then I'd feel guilty because I, I should be at home or, the, you know, the wife's always calling me when I'm out with my mates, you know, like that. When are you getting home? So there's not that freedom, not so the freedom. With all of that in mind, Lisa, what would you? What would be your top two tips for a, a husband and mm-hmm. wife to support each other? So to a husband, what would you say in relation to him supporting um, his wife or partner to live life on their terms and to fill their cup up because at the end of the day when we filled our cup up and taking care of ourselves on those three levels physical mental then I believe we are going to give the best of ourselves to those we love our families obviously our work and and um, extended family as well so what would you say um, in terms of that to support a wife to support her husband to take time out for themselves without the guilt and vice versa. So what I would say and what I do say to couples is it is a non-negotiable that when we're in a relationship that each individual has their their time, has their has a space, has have has freedom to be the man, be the woman or or whatever you know that and that we honor that so I remember when um I was about to um have our son give birth to our son my husband's a cyclist right and so we all know what cycling widows live through they you know four hours on a Saturday morning they are absent and you know it's it's just part of the culture and I remember that I could tell leading up to the birth that he was starting to go oh I guess my cycling's going to go out the window and I said here's the deal 100% that is not going to happen unless there's emergencies. But I want to negotiate. You get Saturday mornings, I get Saturday afternoons, you know, and and that we tagged him and that we honoured that space and that we respected that both of us really needed that time just to be ourselves again. And that's how we rolled. Now, did that happen every week? No. But there was a fundamental respect and honour of I really – I really want him to have his own space. I really want him to have time to, if he wants to go learn how to play the recorder, go for it. I think that's I think that's amazing, and that's really um, wonderful advice um, to give. He to didn't, you. He, and he didn't take up the recorder, just so you know. So that was good. <laughs> oh, thank goodness! <laughs> you, did you that? <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, no, it's important, and I think these are kind of the conversations that you'll be surprised couples aren't having. Yeah, and that's part of the issue, isn't it? It's um, yeah. I find so much in terms um, in relation to my coaching, and even as um, a personal trainer years back. It seemed more like a, a counselling role, talking to my clients about what was going on in their life while I was helping them train. And it was, you know, the lack of communication. There's a massive lack of communication. Even though we've got all these social media and different platforms of ways, ways to communicate, um, real communication isn't happening in the, in the home. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think everyone would, would default to we're all time poor. Mm-hmm. And and you know what we are time for, but we actually make time for what we value, and so that's a cop out because actually everyone's got twenty four hours in a day, um, and I think I you know I think there's this whole um, what's the word an addiction to busy. Everyone's so busy, right? But it's also glorifying busy. It's all because if we're not busy again, what are we doing? If we're not busy, what are we achieving? So. Mm-hmm. You know, I often try and just pull it back and just say, you know, like, what would it take you to find half an hour? I mean, like, literally for me, in a week, piano was half an hour. 
you know what, as if I couldn't find half an hour. Yeah, I know, 24 hours in a day, right? As Seven if I couldn't find half an hour, you know, but I put it off for a year because I was like, oh, oh, oh. It's like, no, actually, you can. And I have and I've done it and it's been amazing for me. And and also I really wanted my son to know that when on when we go on Wednesdays, actually that's something for mum, you know, that he has to sit and wait for me because, P.S., you know, that doesn't happen often. No, you've got a beautiful little five-year-old for everyone that mm-hmm. is listening, Jack, yeah. and we're going to get into um, the story of how Jack came into this world very soon. I'd just like to congratulate you, Lisa, in relation to what you're doing with the piano lessons as well. And bring oh, You haven't up. heard it, Fatty. You haven't heard oh, me yet. Yeah. So. You know what? <laughs> I sing because it makes me happy. And years ago, <laughs> I wouldn't even sing in the shower because I was so worried about how bad I sounded, um, even to my husband, I was really embarrassed to sing around anyone. But now I don't care. I sing. I feel sorry for the people around me because it's not great, but I love it and it makes me feel happy. So it fills yeah. my heart a little. Yeah. yeah, good. Good, good. In relation to you um, bringing Jack along, I think I think it's massive because you're showing him that it's important. I matter. That's right, that you matter. Yeah. So. The bigger picture with that and and part of my philosophy is change one to change one life is to change many. So you're continually changing your life, but it's impacting Jack with what you're doing. And I believe the sort of man that he will grow into and the way he will be in his own relationships moving forward in life. I hope so. I hope so. Just going back to exercise, Lisa, and mental health because of the (laughs) sort of work that you do. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. You obviously experienced firsthand the result of depression in our society, which is mm-hmm. a huge epidemic. How important do you feel the role of being active and nutrition is in relation to a person's mental state, mental state and managing their mental health and depression and anxiety? Oh, look, I think it's – I'm not going to say it's everything, but it's close to everything. You know, like it's, it's just – it's super, super – it's one of those things that – when we're when we're working with people that have got layers and complicated um, layers of trauma and grief and stress and sadness in their life, it's actually one of the easy changes, right? Because it's it's almost like a robot can do it because it's a choice of I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat healthy, as opposed to actually having to unpack the emotional layers, right? So I often start there because it's about getting people moving. Now, you might laugh at this, but um, I have been known on many occasions to tell my clients to bring sneakers, and we literally put sneakers on and we walk around the block doing therapy. Because, right, because... um, it's the be- it's one of the best things I can offer them because, A, it gets them out, sunlight, company, we walk, we talk, we burn some calories, we get the adrenaline, we you know, we get everything going and it's better than sitting on the couch. Now, I don't, obviously, that's not for every client so people don't need to get put off that they have to come to me with sneakers but for, for certain clients, for certain, and for a variety of reasons, that I'll be like, I'll send them a message, don't wear your stilettos, bring your sneakers, you know, because Sometimes people also just need that push because I think depression is one of those things, and I'm sure that you've experienced it, as have I, that it is debilitating and it's the last thing we want to do is move. We'd rather be curled up somewhere. And for a lot of people, your story, my story, for a lot of people that I see, you know, they have every reason to want to curl up in a ball. But there's something so profound about getting up and moving and I often talk about footsteps so you know even the art of walking just moving it's about taking ground and we have to do that for our mental health and our emotional health and our physical health and sometimes just the act of look at you taking a footprint in those sneakers to your to literally to your front door high five them and and then send them home you know so yeah look in answer to your question, it's it's super important and I find, as I said, it's one of the ones that is an e- – it's a quick win often. It's a quick – It's not, and when I say quick and it's not easy, but it's one of those things that they can go, I did it. Yeah. You know, I, Lisa, I, I went for five minutes. I did. I joined a gym or I did this or I went to the beach or I – you know, and it's actually a, it's ticking off. So when we're – and when people are in emotional and, and um, mental anguish, sometimes – 
you know, their body is the only thing that's going to move. And I, you know, I've had an experience in my own life where I literally was like, I cannot shift this despair. The only thing I know to do is to move. And I didn't want to, but I put my sneakers on and I remember going to the gym uh, and literally lasting about three minutes on the treadmill, crying the whole time, and, and then got in my car and went back to bed. And I did that, you know, every day for six months until I was literally running 10Ks on the treadmill. And the, and the power of that, nothing, I'm not going to say nothing changed for me mentally and emotionally because it did, it helped shift things. Nothing in my life had changed. My circumstances hadn't changed, but there was something so powerful that my body kind of went, hey, mind, hey, heart, I've got you. Yeah. Is that body, mind, and soul all, yeah. all together? Yeah, I've got you. I'll, I'll, you know, it's like I, I've got you. You just, you just sit in the corner and do what you need to do. But in the meantime, I've got you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna move, and I'm gonna get us better. So yeah, it's hugely important. It is for most of my um, clients. When I was um, working as a PT, I'd say 95 to 98 percent of them had been or were struggling with depression or anxiety, and had been on medication or had been offered medication before even any sort of exercise was considered. Mm. So I know that the exercise helped um, so much as it did for me before I actually became a trainer with my own depression. It's the first thing that I changed was Mm. starting to move. I ate terribly, didn't know anything about personal development or anything like that. I had a bit of faith but I wasn't very active in it but just moving I'd exercise I'd come home and I wouldn't feel crazy although I had such guilt around even getting a gym membership I remember Mm. speaking to my mum and going oh my god I can't afford to spend that money on it because I should be spending the money on the kids and and on bills and all these other things and the funny thing is she said to me you know oh don't be silly Fatima you know you'll get it back ten tenfold you'll get it back ten times over the amount of money you spend on your gym membership so off I went with clothes and same thing I started on the treadmill and although I hate running Mm, same (laughs) you know just going there just the act of going there and I'd go when it was quiet when there was hardly anyone in the middle of the day when the older people were there and just sometimes I'd be there for 10 minutes and leave but I went Mm. and the more I did it my mental state was changing same thing as you you know I still had all the issues that were causing depression um, going on in my life. But when I exercised, I came back and I didn't feel as crazy as what I had before I went off and exercised. So Mm. although it took about a year before I actually stopped feeling guilty because I knew I got to the point where I knew I shouldn't feel guilty about Mm -hmm. taking time out for myself. And I think Mm -hmm. you've been there as well with even when you were talking about your piano lessons. You ask yourself the question. Yeah. You knew you shouldn't feel guilty, but you did. And it was yeah. a changing perspective to to go, actually, you know what? I shouldn't feel guilty and I don't feel guilt, guilty and these are the reasons why. So, yeah, um, yeah. thank you for sharing that around um, the mental health and how important physical exercise is. I completely, yeah, absolutely. completely agree and I've had the same personal experience and experiences with my clients as well. Um, I'd love to shift gear, if that's okay with you, And talk to our listeners a little bit about your own personal journey in relation to IVF, um, how you became a counsellor, what put you on that path. Would you Mm -hmm. like to share with us a little bit about that journey, Lisa? Sure, absolutely. My husband and I got married and decided, you know, we wanted to start a family quite soon. It kind of just wasn't happening for us. So, you know, um, I went and had some tests and, um, you know, was told um, just very matter-of-factly that IVF was going to be the only option. And that alone was such a shock, you're right. That kind of happened to other people. I didn't really know much about IVF. Um, but um, that kind of started us on a, on a journey that was fairly brutal. Um, I, I think maybe four years, so we had an eight-year journey. Um, we had... 10 rounds and of IVF and yeah massive and um yeah painful lots of lots of loss and lots of grief and 
and um, obviously, you know, we have a beautiful little miracle boy who we're forever grateful for. And but um, you know, what got me into counselling? I was in the corporate world. I, you know, was in a senior management role, and you know, I, there was a lot of shame for me around um, having to go through IVF. And um, a lot of people won't understand that, but um, everyone's different. But for me, I felt like a real failure. And so uh, we kind of kept it quite secret for a long time, um, for as long as we could, and that was quite a few years. Um, but then I just wasn't able to function f- from a from a business point of view because, you know, I was just in um, such uh, such I guess grief and and you know the infertility world is just you know you get sucked into this vortex and everything revolves around it and it's it's fairly all-consuming so I um and I'd had some we'd had some counseling and it was really bad and I walked out of the counseling and I was just like wow and I remember saying I still remember what I was wearing and where I was and I I said to my husband I was like you know what I'm going to go back to uni and I'm going to become a counsellor and if I can save one couple of that experience then that it will be worth it but that's kind of what I did I went back to uni and quit my job found another part-time job kind of in the industry just to pay bills but became a full-time student and um, proceeded to smash out a degree in four years and um, in between all of that it was like free therapy really to be honest um, for four years and in between that was just going through cycle after cycle you know we you know we had a we had an international search you know we were looking for answers and yeah so look it was uh, you know as you said I've written a book and and that 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 book really you know and I published it last year but it had the you know I started writing that book probably seven years ago eight years ago um, before you know, I knew what the outcome was going to be because I really wanted to. I feel like we're living in a day and age where IVF is so normal, and everyone has it, and everyone talks about, it and it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. But actually, there's nothing normal about IVF. Um, it is it is brutal on on marriages and relationships. It is, you know, it completely um, can you know, tear up someone's self-worth and self-esteem physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Um, you know, for me, I felt, you know, I come from a faith faith background and I, you know, just couldn't get my head around how, you know, why did I deserve this and what have I done wrong and, you know, and as a woman it was, as I said, the shame for me was really about, you know, like, um, you know, as a woman, it's everyone should like that's just what we're born to do, right? And when your body fails you, it's like, you know, what what's wrong with me? And I mean, I went on, you know, I did everything known to mankind. You know, if someone said eat lettuce, stand on your head and drink pear juice, well, that's what I did. You know, and everyone's got an opinion, and everyone, you know, there's lots of fads and there's lots of things that we shouldn't shouldn't do. But ultimately, at the end of the day, and working with couples now, you know we can do all that we know to do but ultimately you know um there is no hard and fast rules and it's a really dangerous environment where we've got nutritionists telling everyone to cut this out do that cut that out do that um because what works for one person doesn't work for someone else and i mean i did everything and yet still had what they call failure you know and so that messes with you psychologically as well so um look I'm I'm forever you know it's one of those things that I'm as I said forever grateful for IVF um because of 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 what we received um from a relationship point of view it was probably the worst thing that could have happened to us but it kind of it changed the dynamics of our marriage in a good way over the years um and I think it just taught me a lot about um you know how to treat people who are going through tough stuff you know aside from me being a counselor it was more about how do we how do we reach someone when life hasn't turned out how they'd hoped and there's this real normalization of you know you know as a you know as a woman well are you a mum no why aren't you a mum you know or and I, I used to cringe people would say to me oh when are you having kids and I'd be like you know in the early days I could pass it off but after five six seven eight years I used to have get quite snitchy or just be rude you know because I'd just be like just people are ignorant like you know 
Yeah. And so one of the things for me is just about, you know, how to sit with people no matter what their story. So my story was IVF and grief and loss and, you know, disappointment and sadness and, you know, this was not how I thought my life would look. But, you know, the fundamentals are the same for someone else's story, you know. Sadness is sadness. Grief is grief. Different levels. It's not about um comparing but how do we sit with the brokenhearted how do we sit with the how do we sit with them and how do we just actually be you know so um yeah like when I published my book I I was in such two minds because in fact when I first sent it to the publisher I didn't actually have the end chapter which was the miracle and they sent back and they were like uh we kind of want to know what happened and I was really um on the edge of I didn't want it to be a oh, look at this, and then then we got the miracles because not everyone does. I work with couples day in, day out that have to walk away from IVF, that have to walk away from the dream. And my story, I wanted it to be real. I wanted it to be raw. I wanted it to be a real behind the scenes of what goes on and the damage. And But I also didn't want it to be about that everyone gets what they want. Because if you believe enough, you will. Actually, no, everyone doesn't get what they want. No matter what they're eating, no matter what exercise they're doing, no matter what therapy they're doing, that not everyone gets a baby. That's the fact. Yeah, and that's um, the same with, um, I guess, other things in life that people correct. want. Whatever some it is. people don't get healed from cancer. Some people, you know, their marriages don't survive. Some, you know, like, I've, yeah, it's that whole oh, but, you know, if you work hard enough, you'll get it. No, no, that's not true. That is not true. You know, sometimes I feel like, and I know for me, I was like a robot. I worked that hard. And when I when I kept failing at it, I would push myself worse. And I had such a punishment mentality. You know, I, you talk about exercise. You know, I, I would sometimes, you know, put on seven kilos in a cycle from all the treatment and then, it would all go pear-shaped and then I'd be back at the gym thrashing myself till I'm nearly vomiting on the treadmill because I hated myself so much because I was a failure again, you know, and that's not what my body needed. My body needed nature. But I didn't know, you know, I, 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 I didn't sit in that space. It was like, well, my body's let me down. I'm a failure. What? How, how, you know, my husband should just leave me. Like it's just ridiculous. I'm just a loser, you know, all this internal dialogue. So, you know, fair to say I did a lot of therapy, you know. I did a lot of work around, you know, my my values, my my core beliefs, like my default under crisis, my, you know, who am I, who's my identity without being a mum, like, and why was everything hinged on being a mum, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty epic and painful. Um, but, you know, it's such a privilege to work with couples to sit alongside and you know I don't I don't begin to say I've got the answers I don't have the answers but what I do have is empathy and what I do have is compassion and what I do have is understanding but everyone's story is different and so when people come into my rooms or they've read my book they often do the oh but yours is worse because yours is eight years you know like and I'm like no 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 this is not about you know who we don't grade it but that's kind of what happens, right? We start grading yeah, things. Comparison, comparison is such a killer and it's something I really don't like. I've had the same sort of thing, people comparing my story and their story and going, oh, you know, mine wasn't as bad or I haven't been through yeah. No, 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 yeah, yeah. stop right there. Yeah. Yeah. We all have our stories, we all have our experiences and we can only relate to what we have actually gone through and it's not fair on yourself to compare. You know, we are all, a friend of mine says we are all uniquely unique on our own unique journey. Correct. And it's a really, really lovely saying. So thank you so much for sharing all of that, Lisa. And I think one of the most beautiful things, aside from um, Jack coming out of <laughs> coming out of that years, is that you now work and help so many people and have become a counsellor through your experience. And the thousands and thousands of lives you've been able to to impact because of the. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you know, change one life is to change many, Lisa. So, um, I just want to read one passage from your book. Um, yeah. I always love your writing. So, um, and then speak about your husband's 
um, support to yourself through this. So I know he's written a chapter in the book. Um, yeah, by the way, his chapter is the most popular. Honestly, we get that much response. Yeah, you, you've Thank actually you. said that a few times. So um, yeah. I find that very interesting, I guess, because it's that male perspective, isn't it? And normally it's it's about the female when it's... Um, well, and I think, yeah, I think it's the male, the men are the unsung heroes. They are pretty much ignored up until they need to do what they need to do. But you know what? Men feel too. And the amount of men that, and, and even from a medical profession, you go into all your appointments and the focus is all on the woman. It's all on the cycle, the body, the this, that, and rightly so. It needs to be at that level. But, you know, my husband and I were um, guest speakers at a, a national fertility conference and we were asked to sit on a panel and talk about um, a customer experience. And um, he was asked, you know, it was Q&A and he was asked, by one of the doctors like what could we have done differently to for a, a, a better experience and you know his his response was so simple he said well first of all you could have asked how I was he said in eight years no one ever ever said to me and how are you wow. it was always helpful yeah and and looking back I mean I was so just in survival mode I didn't to be honest I didn't really recognize that but it's true no one you know would sit both sit down and the doctor would say right Lisa so how are you going and what are you doing and blah 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 and Serge would just sit there like he was invisible yeah wow um this passage I wanted to read Lisa I'm sure you'll know it but I'm going to read it out for our audience mm-hmm. it's in the chapter once upon a time mm-hmm. I think it is quite possible I cried an entire river of mascara during my eight-year journey trying to conceive. Many times it was a snot bubble and black streamed down the face, panda eye. (laughs) It wasn't uncommon for my husband to remove his shirt covered in black smeared stains. By the end, he did it quickly, quietly, and without much fuss. He was amazing like that. Think that chapter to me, you know, highlighted it when I read it because it just highlighted, um, like you just said, then the unsung hero. Mm. The, he really was. Yeah, he was, and yeah, yeah, and I think you know, and he would say this, and for men especially, you know, they don't know what to do, and men are generally wired to try and fix and solve things. But when you're in a journey like fertility, they can't fix anything. They can't solve anything. They just have to stand stand alongside. And, you know, as I said, I mean, I often call it the snot bubble crying. I mean, that was almost like the silent way. That's why my book's called Silent Tears because sometimes I just had no noise. It was just gut-wrenching tears. And, um, and he would just very graciously, honestly, I laugh now, but... <laughs> Like he would have mascara and snot and everything and he would just go and change and come back without saying anything. And in the time I probably didn't even think about it, but when I look back and when I was writing that book, I was like, wow, that is grace, that is that is love, that is, you know, such honour. That um, and, and that kind of sums up his journey. He was like just the sideline wingman that um, – kept my head above water no I mean I don't sit in a in a counseling room but from my perspective I think what you have gone through the toughness of what you've gone through over these years for a marriage to survive that these days is huge I mean you could probably share how many marriages could and do withstand that type of stress and actually survive well I think when one of our first meetings with the specialist he said that and I don't know what the statistics were like if they were correct, but he said 80% of marriages don't last. That, and I was like, wow, that's a good news story, day one. Wow, great. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, and, and for us, we there was a period in the eight years where I think we took about 12 to 18 months off because our marriage was ready to end um, from the from the weight of it. And we just needed to get back to basics. Um, and one of the things I see a lot of, and I'm working with some IVF clinics to try and you know educate around it's one thing to support couples getting pregnant and having babies but then 
what's happening is they get the babies and then the marriages end and then these little babies are in a split family because they haven't dealt with what they've been going through so it's like if we don't deal with the stuff in it 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 builds and it snowballs and then you've got a newborn and you I mean you've got three kids you know what that stage is like it's not easy um and so you know it's so important for couples when they're going through fertility stuff not to just focus on the baby and not just to focus on the miracle and not just to focus on the the clinic and the and the cycles it's actually to continue to check in with each other because otherwise what are you fighting for exactly and um I guess to check in with each other and would you say to to check in with themselves in terms of taking care of other parts of their life, the physical, the mental, the emotional, yeah. just by everything that they're going through, it's been quite taxing on on so many levels, you know, not just an emotional level but on a, on a physical level what you're going through. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's certainly, you know, it's stressed it's stressed at epic proportions but what happens is you get so caught up in in the day-to-day everything become it becomes the third party in your relationship in your world and everything's all the decisions are based around the cycle and the drugs and the this and will I be pregnant and when's my two-week weight and all this stuff um but it's that whole you you know going back to that woman wife mother thing or the husband men other thing I always get that mixed up but you know it's like we have to have an identity outside of this experience we can't just get all consumed in it and and that includes taking care of ourselves Um, and it's very hard especially for women to do because they get so focused on well I well I don't want to do that because that might affect that and I don't want to do that because you know so it's hard to detangle from it becomes a story it becomes a really strong narrative which I understand you know it was a really strong narrative for me it changed how we when we were planning holidays what cars we were going to buy you know like everything gets affected but you know it's it's just so important that couples check in with themselves that they've both got parties outside of the marriage that they can talk to especially the men um just to download um because they can't be that for one another that's what I find they can't be the support, you know, that they need at all levels. So, yeah. Lisa, you are absolutely amazing and I feel so privileged that you've taken the time to to share and go quite deep on even your own personal story. Um, mm. Is there any, any parting thoughts you want to leave? Oh, gosh. Um, look, I, as I said, I would just say, you know, Mental, emotional and physical health, I call it the trifecta, you know that, um, are equal. They're, the three of them are equal. And if we're only focusing on one thing, one of them, then the other two are suffering. And so as a therapist, as I said, I'm unapologetic that I do favour mental and emotional health, not because I don't value physical health, but I, I feel like they're often the poor cousins as far as the work that people are going to do because yeah. – you know, it's in this day and age, it's very focused on physical health and what we eat. And as I said, all matter. But, you know, if we don't start doing the unpacking of our mental and our emotional health, we're never going to have optimal health across the board. It's like all, um, they're all pieces of the puzzle. For yeah. The picture. Yeah. That yeah, was certainly absolutely. my own personal experience. You know, it started with the physical and then it went to the food and then it went to the environment and the mindset and, and I found that, you know, I could work on one set of physical and feel amazing and great for a few weeks, but I could not maintain it. And then I had changed the food and supplementation and, and mindset. And I needed every piece of the puzzle to maintain myself in a really, really good state. And I think what's important also is people to understand that um, being happy in their life doesn't mean you're happy laughing with a big smile on your face every second of the day you can be happy in life and still have sad days and down days yeah you know it doesn't mean you're on the, on the up all the time um to be no. happy and joyful and in life. absolutely and I say to people all the time it is a common human experience to feel depressed and to have anxiety it's just to what degree they what level they're at as to yeah. what kind of intervention we need 
But, you know, it's okay to have, like you said, have down days. But we need to start getting real with ourselves and acknowledging and validating our emotions and not ignoring them. We're so quick to ignore. We're so quick to avoid because who wants to do that work? That's boring. Um, and yet without it, we're not living fully anyway. Well, I'd say, you know, there's we can't have the beautiful view from the peak of that mountain if we don't have the valleys and that's, you know, and that's a representation of life. You can't have that yeah. beautiful high and that beautiful view and those amazing high moments if you don't have valleys as well. There's, it's inevitable that you're going to have valleys in life but yeah. you have to keep moving forward and, and making ourselves aware of the tools that we can use to keep moving forward in those times that we are down in the valley. But I think also it's about when we're on the mountaintop that we're actually still doing work, that we've actually still continuing to do the work so that when the trenches arrive or the waves of life arrive, we've got something to work with. Because what happens is people, you know, life hits and life hits all of us for different, at different reasons and stages. And then the 11th hour is maybe coming to a counsellor when it's so hard to unpack in crisis, you know. So it's that what are we doing to check in to make sure that we're like just doing an inventory on how we're travelling. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point that you make about that. Um, still doing the work when you're when you are on mm. on a high yeah. and you're in a good place in life. It's that maintenance. It's that you know taking care of yourself. Yeah, you know, taking care of the woman and taking care of the man. Um, Correct. Correct. All the time. So it's been amazing to speak with Thank you, you so and much. And it's, um, well, it's always a pleasure doing business with you, my friend, and hopefully the listeners gain something from this. But yeah, it's been a real honor. I'm sure they will. People can find you on Instagram. What's your Instagram mm-hmm. handle? So Lisa, Lisa Bondarenko. I'm very creative. So Lisa Bondarenko, my website's lisabondarenko.com.au. And my Facebook is Lisa Bondarenko. So there you go. Easy. Sorry, Lisa Bondarenko. Um, in the show notes, I'll make sure that I have all the links to um, to Lisa's website and her social media handles. And you'll be able to find her book through the website. Is that right? Yes, correct. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Right. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I truly hope you have found it beneficial and have taken some value from it. Hopefully a lot. If you did, please, please share this show with anyone you feel may need to hear it. I would also absolutely love if you would take a minute or two to review this show on iTunes, Stitcher or whichever platform you happen to be listening to it on. With your help, we can accomplish my mission to positively impact 10 million lives. That would be so awesome. Now, if you want to connect with me or my guests on other platforms, or if you want to send me an email with questions or ideas of guests to interview, please check out the show notes. I am so incredibly grateful to have had your time today, and I can't wait to have you on the next episode. Have a great day.